your sight line. You can put it right there. Yeah, great. This like fucking rotting apple. This is symbolic. Of our what? Franchise. I wasn't gonna <laughs> how dare you. Okay, you start. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Um do you want something let's see. Um, what are the categories? Categories. There is no are, category, uh, Steven. It's just Do you want something New Yorky? Something personal or something mm, big? Um I want the yeah. most abbreviated one of those options. Just kidding. I want the. I want the. No, you know. Wait, did a New Yorky one? Not um something. Well, I never personal. did New York I want one. a personal one. I want to know what you personally want to get rid of. Um. Yeah. Uh, uh, Is that not the one you want to do? Honestly, I don't actually. Uh, have care. one? No, I have. <laughs> obviously, honestly, loads. Um. <laughs> no. Uh. I. I just don't know how to frame this in like a principle kind of way, like a let's get rid of blah, blah, blah. Mm. I just <laughs> have been really sleep deprived lately um, in a way that like, I don't know, I paid for today quite largely. I was just like not able to get out of bed at all. And I've been like, like yesterday got up, it was like, Really bad tension, headache at yoga. I was like, just kind of waiting for that breakthrough moment. Did not happen. I was just like, this, these like tension headaches are awful. Mm -hmm. And it's like part and parcel of the sleep deprivation. Um, and I don't, uh, I don't like it. So I'd like to get rid of my insomnia and yeah. uh, symptoms therefrom. Mm. Pretentious. <laughs> Look, uh, ah, have a brain. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretentious. Yeah. Um, well, I'm sorry if you like, to... I, I would, I, uh, no, no, we're no? good with sleep okay. deprivation. Um, okay. I'm very sorry to hear that, Stephen. Eggy farts. <laughs> Is that another? That's related? no. Actually, I just had literally in my notes it says uh, eggy. No, no, lentils eggy? with eggs in them cause. Oh my God. What is wrong with you, Stephen? We were talking about sleep deprivation. Everything was fine. That is such a disgusting image for a fart. Oh, my God. I think we need to take a moment here, a moment of silence. Ooh. Okay, well, um, what's helpful is that I promised myself that I would uh, <laughs> try to suppress anything but, like, the biggest of laughs. Because I think they can sound fake. Um, and uh, Wait. now I'm crying because of how, how, <laughs> you're trying to how much of a laugh it was. No, I'm just like a silent <laughs> laugher. Uh, generally speaking, mm -hmm. I'm like a, a silent laugher. Um, so typically <laughs> if, I, if I laugh out loud at your joke, you can know that I'm probably disingenuous. But Because um, <laughs> I was about to say, no, I don't think you're a silent laugher. So ouch. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh oh. Oh no. Whoa. Yeah. Um, but you let's know. get back on the eggy farm train. Tra no, not what? that train. Well, this is what I'm about to say. Um, what I want to get rid of, if we, uh, to answer your question. <laughs> um, okay. He just saw that my wrists are like, or like what? my palms, Stigmata. excuse me, my palms are bandaged. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to get rid of um, is jogging. Because none of this would have happened if I didn't jog. Because uh, this morning I went for a jog and I was like, I got up early and I went for a jog. I'm so great. 
everyone's so great, uh, jealous of me jogging. And then I just like for really no reason tripped hard and I ate it and I skinned my knees and my, and my, these things, my uh. palms. And, um, it was, it was embarrassing and painful. It hurts to like skin yourself. Yeah, It like feels uh, hot. It does feel hot. Very, yeah. And then I was like, how do I shout? How do I like touch stuff? Uh. Cause like it's right there. Anyways, but none of that would have happened if I hadn't been jogging. So let's get rid of jogging. Yeah. I, so, you know, spoiler, I don't really jog much. Wrong podcast. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I but, was just on that podcast so I can, so I know. Okay. Keep going. Well, the, that episode will probably come out before this episode. Well, they'll so know that I was just go. on that podcast. Okay. A while um, ago. Look it up. But. <laughs> Yeah, I don't really jog, but when I used to jog in Charleston, for some reason, I, I don't know, I don't really get it. It's like, um, I think sometimes I like fear embarrassment, but when I do things that people consider embarrassing, I don't ever really find myself embarrassed. Like when I've like fallen on the subway or fallen while jogging, I've just like immediately popped up and been like, all right, well, you know, I guess it was my turn mm-hmm. and like <laughs> kept going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's like falling on the subway platform. It's like, oh, mm. you know, <laughs> this time it was me. Boom. Mm-hmm. All right, right. let's it's gonna go. Be you next time. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, no, for help. Thanks for the help up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah. Also, a little bit, a little bit heavy, perhaps. Okay. It's like the few times that I've been like, oh, I'm, I, I could. It's kind of a toss up as whether or not I'm going to die now. Um, every time I've been like, hey. Like, so I just say at the same time, it's, I feel like it's similar thing. I feel like it's parallel process where I'm like, Oh, could be embarrassed. Some reason, not embarrassed. Many people might be like afraid to die. I'm like, Oh, I guess I'm going to die now. You've mentioned Um, this actually on a couple of the, when we talked about, you wanted to get rid of, or I talked about flying and there was like a flight you went on recently and you were like, it was a lot of turbulence and you're like, I'm going to die. And we have I got very another flight coming up tomorrow. Perhaps I've got one on Friday. It will, Boom. you know. Let, let's. We're, <laughs> I look forward to recapping. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's yeah. see how those were. Did yeah. Um, we'll see wow. if we have a conversation on the terrestrial plane. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I hope I see you again. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> That's not funny. Remains um, to be seen. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, great. Let's. Let's start. Are you show. ready? Are you yeah, sure you want to get rid of jogging? On. And also, your knees are okay? Because yeah. I do want to say that I, I was like, oh man, you're looking like, uh, I feel like it's the first time I've seen you looking like fresh and summery. And like, uh, it's a shame that along with that uh, comes skinned up knees and, and pain. Yeah, but you, but you know, know, they're going to soon, once they stop hurting badly, they'll be like, battle scars and right. i'll be like yeah i jog i'm probably gonna yeah. jog again you know I jog you like and i'll be like what you get skin yourself yeah. whatever that's what it wounds, that's bro. the price you, got you pay wounds, bro? Yeah. if you don't you're not jogging unless right. you, got, you wounds. got wounds bro bro so yeah you're but, about to um, be like a, a joggy wound bro joggy wound bro yeah we it's all know those new band name yeah joggy wound bro definitely a good one but i am ready to start you ready to start let's do it welcome to welcome. oh okay hold on I, i've been told no. that i'm too slow <laughs> no, no. so uh welcome to you should we keep this, this culture review podcast and you know all the looks of the past 50 years of film music television challenging your nostalgia to get at the question should we should we should we should we should we keep this, this. i'm steven moskis and you are gina stevenson and today we're going to talk about ordinary people and stuff Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back. I can't Great. That no, way. we can be done with that. I just wanted to make a point. So I feel <laughs> that like that point has been sufficiently Steven. made. Your um, 
You are yeah. amazing. But um, I do want to make it clear that the film that I said was, was ordinary, ordinary people. people. And the one I said was Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. Right. And the 1980. Fifth episode. Yeah. Yes, or ep- the fifth episode, the fifth. Um, well, great. So 1980, there were actually a lot. <coughs> <laughs> I had a cough. Um, there are a lot of common threads that I found. I could have made up a couple of taglines for this year. Mm. I went for maybe the most obvious one. Um, you don't do what's what? Okay, I'll just say it. The nineteen eighty <laughs> wrist wounds. <laughs> oh, sorry. Nope. Sorry. Um, no, the year. This is the obvious one. The year of dads trying to connect with their angry sons, because that's truly what All happens right. in both movies. That's true. That is. True. <laughs> um, so we'll start with Ordinary People. That's the one I saw first, shall we? Cool. Do Let's do you? it. Great. Let's do it. Um, this was the best Let's picture winner. Let's do Let's it, do 1980. It. Let's do it. This is a drama. <clears throat> okay. So it's a drama. Focus, um, it's about this upper middle class waspy family living in a Chicago suburb. Mm. Um, this is, oh, we should clarify, this is not Home Alone. Uh, <laughs> their house is very Home Alone-esque, oh. I feel like. <laughs> and they also, Chicago suburb. Mm, is, it, yeah. is Home Alone Chicago? I never really... Well, it takes, yeah, I mean... Ch- suburb? The, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Oh, cool. I mean, except um, for Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, which takes that's, place in That was the one New I watched York. the most. I thought it was far superior. It was a great one. But anyways, no, we are talking about Ordinary People, which was the best picture winner of 1980. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure everyone was <laughs> um, thinking about Home Alone in this Thank you, yes. I'm sure that was not just me. Um, sure, even though we said the title, but yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, this is a drama, Stephen, so don't make this funny. <laughs> this is about an upper middle class, waspy yeah, we family. Don't wanna, we don't want a deer <sighs> hunter repeat. We don't, you're right. Yeah, that was, was, that was you, rough. Gina. I know, it was my fault. It was my bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Okay. Um, okay, it's about this family uh, as they deal with the death of their eldest son. Um, so that's sort of like generally what the movie is is dealing with. So when the film starts, um, the family's youngest, te- younger, y- only remaining son, uh, Conrad, who's a teenager, has just returned home after spending four months in a psychiatric hospital for a suicide attempt. Um, and he's so he just got back and he is trying like starting school again, starting swim practice again. Um, but he feels very alienated from his friends and sort of from, you know, just sort of the adjustment period of being back at home uh, after these traumatic events. Um, So because he's sort of feeling alienated and and seeing everyone is sort of walking on eggshells around him, um, he starts seeing a psychiatrist named Dr. Berger. Um, And basically he goes to the psychiatrist because he wants to learn how to control his emotions is sort of what he says he's there for. And um, over the course of their sessions, uh, it's, we learn that Conrad was with his brother who also everybody idolized and was like this amazing all-star perfect guy. Um, so he was what with his brother when he died, which was during a boating accident. Um, and so Conrad is not only, you know, suffering from, uh, some PTSD about sort of being present at his death, but also survivor's guilt and all of these things that he's going through. And slowly through his sessions with the doctor, um, Conrad, learns to kind of experience his emotions and like live through them, deal with them rather than control them. Like he said he wanted. Um, so that's kind of his part of his journey. And so meanwhile, we, of course, the other main characters are Conrad's parents, Calvin and Beth, um, who have very different attitudes towards Conrad's illness. 
Um, Calvin is trying to understand his son, tries to be there for him, be sensitive to his needs, you know, as he's sort of figuring out how to help his child. Um, while Beth is very cold to, to Conrad, um, we see in a lot of scenes that she and Conrad, in fact, can barely even be in the same space together um, for more than a few moments. Uh, and she, because she is also, she's very concerned with outward appearance of normalcy and sort of like projecting this perfect family. Uh, and so Conrad's illness is something that she really can't tolerate, doesn't know how to, how to deal with. Um, as later in the film, Conrad seems to be sort of doing better. Uh, he starts dating a classmate, this, um, woman named Janine. Um, but he suffers this pretty major setback when he finds out that Karen, who's a friend he met at the psychiatric hospital, has committed suicide. Um, so he calls Dr. Berger desperately and they have this sort of late night breakthrough session in which Conrad finally kind of allows himself to stop blaming himself for his brother's death. Um, and Calvin, the dad, uh, you know, this whole time he and Beth have also been sort of having like he's Calvin's trying to get Beth to talk about what happened, uh, to talk about why she doesn't seem to be there for Conrad. And so finally Calvin, but she sort of keeps pushing it off. So finally Calvin confronts her and kind of, uh, or, you know, says that he doesn't think he loves her anymore, questions her ability to love anyone because she's so obsessed with sort of appearances. And then rather than sort of dealing with her own emotions or with her, what her family's going through, Beth packs a suitcase and she leaves. And the film ends with this warm, you know, moment between father and son as they kind of sit there and and start picking up the pieces of what their their new normal will be. So that's that's the plot. I think. Steven? Jump. So um <laughs> yeah, the film was made for six million, made fifty-five. It won the best picture Oscar, the best director, adapted screenplay and supporting actor Oscar. This was Robert Redford's directorial debut. And something I found that was really surprising about it was that, you know, it, like if this is his directorial debut, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about his career because we've already done that with mm -hmm. both Butch Cassidy and The Sting. Mm -hmm. um, but this was not only a first for him, but he, as a director, put many people in a position to have their firsts. So, um, this was Elizabeth McGovern's first movie, who we know from Downton Abbey. She was she plays the love interest to Timothy Hutton, the the son Conrad. Um, she received special permission from Juilliard to do the film because she was still enrolled, and then she the very next year got an Oscar nomination for Evelyn Nesbitt in Ragtime, and then she went on to star in Once Upon a Time in America, The Handmaid's Tale, in the nineteen ninety movie. She was in the Alexis Bledel role. And then most notably, probably, at least to people our age, is her role as Cora Crawley, the Madam of Downton Abbey. Um, she did marry an English director, so she continued to work throughout the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. But a lot of that was in UK television and, and UK film, which is why, and, and this is totally subjective, she had like a big American success, but then seemed to disappear, but it was, she was working. She just was working in the UK. Um, this was Timothy Hutton's, this was Timothy Hutton's first movie. And he's the, he won the best supporting actor Oscar. And he was the youngest 
act he is still the youngest actor to ever win hmm. um and it was his very first movie he never stopped acting he remained prolific however nothing really took off his first series of movies were kind of were fairly weak in the follow-up. And then in 1985, he did a film called The Falcon and the Snowman with Sean Penn. Mm -hmm. That was another sort of peak. And then it wasn't until French Kiss in 95 with Meg Ryan and Kevin Kline that he started to have more popularity. But he never, especially for someone to have such an early Mm -hmm. high, never really ascended from there. It was kind of up and down and then he was 20 when he won that yeah which is just to put that out there mm. god crazy um Continue. yeah and then he did he had you know he's done a number of films he was the star of a series uh leverage that ran 08 to 2012 um was in several episodes of how to get away with murder as well as the haunting of hill house and so he's done lots of roles, but this is by far his most like critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. And then um, Mary Tyler Moore. This was so she had come off of ref- effectively playing the same character for close to twenty years on um, Mary Tyler Moore, and then previously on the Dick Van Dyke Show. And so this is her breakout role. This is her only Oscar nomination, and this is something that is awful. Um, and, and, and had to be done post the filming of this project because there's no way that this film, that this event, this happened in October of 1980, but in October of 1980, her son was accidentally killed handling a shotgun that was like later removed because it was, it had like a hair trigger. And so he was like, so she suffered the death of one of her sons you know just like her character it was in october of that year so since it came out in 1980 just the way that film works there's no way that it was filmed after that right right um that just is awful um and she so she is more complicated than I thought she was because she's a major advocate for vegetarianism, animal rights, and type 1 diabetes awareness. Um, However, she did, like, donate a lot of money to, um, like, the rebuilding of, like, Stonewall Jackson's headquarters and, you know, Confederate, Mm quote-unquote, war hero. Um, And then also, even though she was more liberal in the early part of her career, went on to, like become more libertarian and endorse Bill O'Reilly. And she also rejected, I think this is a little bit more complicated than, you know, becoming a libertarian and liking someone like Bill O'Reilly. This is as late as like 2012 that, um, she in the seventies, um, rejected Gloria Steinem's attempts to get her to be one of the public advocates for feminism. Mm. Um, and she, didn't like that part of that at the time was uh, Steinem's claim that women owed it to themselves to have a career as opposed to being in, in the home. And I think that like now it probably wouldn't be, I you know, I don't know necessarily 
exactly how charged it was. I mean, I don't think that. I just know that now if someone would be like, yeah, it's not about saying that people who choose to not work are bad. It's about saying that people who choose to work should be allowed to should be allowed to <laughs> yeah. and aren't bad. Right. So I don't I just don't think that I think that because of how new the conversation was in mm-hmm. the early 70s of having like working women, I think that it was kind of charged in yeah. a way that it, it isn't now. So I don't know totally. that she would have rejected mm-hmm. that notion um, no, no. No, that, today. That's like the whole argument against the Equal Rights Amendment and everything was like this will be bad. This will mean that like, you know, women who are housewives will be forced to X, Y, Z. Right. Which right. is like, obviously not the thing that would happen, but yeah. Right. But who knows? Um, she would have thought now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Judd Hirsch, this was the, who played the doctor. This was his breakout role uh, in terms of, f- style because he had previously been highly acclaimed in the sitcom taxi. And then he played this role. And from then on oscillated back and forth between film, TV and Broadway comedies and dramas. Um, and yeah, the biggest Donald Sutherland is the only one who was really playing within his type. And I think he had a very, I think he had a, a, a pretty, respectable like emotional arc but he was the only one of the main ensemble that was not nominated for an academy award um this was Was the doctor yes Mm -hmm. he was also he and timothy hutton were nominated for best Mm -hmm. supporting actor Mm -hmm. um and this the movie is based on the novel of the same name by a woman named Judith Guest and this was her first novel um so this there's a significant amount of, of firsts regarding yeah. this film. Um, also, I was curious in terms of like how big the, how this is sort of at least in doing this, um, in doing this podcast and the criteria that we use, our first contact with um, sort of, uh, suicidal youth in a real way. We talked about it with Annie Hall and Christopher Walken and in a way it was parodied and character caricaturized, but and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yes. The with Billy. Billy. Character. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and this, but this is the first sort of contemporary realism mm-hmm. attempt to also, I mean, based on the title of the film, like describe it as an ordinary issue. Um, the during the I did some research and during the period from 1970 to uh, 2012, suicide rates on the whole were declining, but until 1994, suicide rates among people aged 15 to 22 were increasing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I and even though it's still like a small percentage, when those margin when the margin grows like and and increases like they're felt pretty drastically um also they're spun in media to be made more drastic than they maybe are but um they're still like st- statistically significant and so we are seeing a rise in uh te- like a, a teen 
an adolescent uh, mental health crisis mm-hmm. um, that I'm curious to see how we're going to play, how it's going to play out over the next decade. Um, and then I'm also, do you think, no, we'll talk about the title within the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the only, the last thing that I, I, I have is that, uh, yeah, Karen, um, the aforementioned friend of, of Conrad, Conrad mm-hmm. is played by uh, Dina Manhoff, who plays Marty in the 1978 Greece. Greece. Yeah, very, very like uh, what felt like a very, very different role. Mm-hmm. I, it was, it was. Yeah. Really cool. I was like, where the hell is she? Why is she not like yeah. huge? Because no, I loved great. her in both films and yeah. she's really versatile. She is. Yeah. Cool. So, shall we move um, on let's to Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back. Um, let's do it. This is the top grossing <clears> film. Um, we've already talked about Star Wars, A New Hope. So here we are again. Um, so yeah, so this takes place three years, apparently after the events of the first movie. Right. I was like, whoa, this takes place in, in real time. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which continues to be the case with the ones, the contemporary ones where it's like, he's older. Right. And it's like, oh my God. But except for the prequels, because obviously that's. But do they take place? Do they take do place they, in real time by absolute value? But not the prequels can't because he's a kid and then he's like a teenager and. Oh yeah, no, because they jump like seventeen years. Which or is something maybe like why that. the prequels are so bad. Bad. They don't follow. <gasps> they don't. don't. Follow the rules. They don't follow the rules. Oh, Whoa, my wow. mind is blown. Also, I have a lot in terms of revisionism because. Um, oh, also something that is not okay, tracked in terms of the cultural the impact of ordinary right people now, is okay. that I'm sorry, I know that, yeah, okay. but like there is. <laughs> No, I, I couldn't find really many like explicit links, but there is no way that that the scenes between Jed Hirsch and, and Conrad didn't heavily, heavily, heavily influence the scenes with Robin Williams and Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting. They're just way too mm. similar in terms of their the way that they're shot, the dynamic between the two of them. Um and also uh the American Psychological Association, a lot of the film is one of the first to characterize psychologists in a positive light. Mm, nice. Yeah, for sure. Shall I? Uh, please do. <laughs> Sorry. No, I love that you add no, those. No, I, fucked, those it. Are great. I fucked it. Uh, those are great. So three years after the events of the first film, um, where so now Princess Leia is leading the Rebel Alliance. She oh. wears pants the whole movie. She's leading the alliance. Um, and sh- they've set up a hidden rebel base on the ice planet of Hoth, where Luke and Han and all of our old friends from the other movie are all hanging out. Um, the Empire has been looking for the rebel base, um, sending probe droids across the galaxy. Uh, so Luke, who is out on patrol in this very cold planet, he gets attacked by this big old beast. And before he like passes out from being very cold, he sees this vision of Obi-Wan Kenobi telling him to go to the Dagobah system to find a Jedi master named Jedi master named Yoda. Um, uh, so he's like, I should do that. And then he passes out. Um, probe, the probe droids that were released into space find them on Hoth. So the Empire's like, there they are. They launch an attack against the rebels, forcing the rebels to flee the planet. 
Um, Han and Leia escape on the Millennium Falcon, while Luke escapes on his own uh, with R2-D2, though, of course, and heads for the swamp planet Dagobah, where he finds Yoda, um, who at first just pretends to be this, like, silly little creature who's making a mess of stuff, making mischief, but um, is actually Yoda. And he reluctantly agrees to train Luke. Meanwhile, on the Falcon, um, the Falcon is having some technical problems. So Han and Leia head to a nearby uh, city that's run by Han's quote-unquote old friend, Lando Calrissian, um, to get the Falcon repaired. But it turns out when they arrive that uh, this bounty hunter named Boba Fett, who's been looking for Han, uh, has been tracking the Falcon and brought uh, Darth Vader and the Imperial fleet to the same city where they all landed. So they Lando like betrays them. He gives them over to uh, Imperial forces. Um, and Vader is basically like using them as bait to lure Luke there because he knows Luke cares about his friends. And now that Luke is training, he like is having premonitions about things that he can see. So he sees his friends are in danger. Um, and Vader was planning on freezing Luke in carbonite to bring him over to, with him to the emperor, who is like the biggest evil, bad guy. Um, but to make sure that, you know, they don't want Luke to die. So they tested on Han who, so Han gets frozen in carbonite, um, and is taken away by Boba Fett. Um, and so, but Lando in the end does free Leia and Chewie, um, who they, so they all fight their way back to the Falcon and they fly off. And meanwhile, Luke has arrived, um, to try to save his friends. Of course, he's still a little too late and all he finds is an angry Darth Vader, um, who has an epic lightsaber. They have an epic lightsaber duel. Um, Vader is like trying to convince him to come to the dark side with him. Right. Uh, and, and Vader is like way more, way, way more powerful than Luke is right now. He just started his training. And so Vader cuts off Luke's hand. Ah, and reveals that he is Luke's father. Ah! Um, and at the last second, Luke like he's like no, and he like falls down this big old shoot Statue. thing. That's impossible. impossible. <laughs> um, and so he's like hanging on to this like weather vane thing, and he's mm. like, and he so he like reaches out telepathically to Leia, and it's like, why does she hear him? I wonder. We don't know yet. Um, sister. Not so yet, though. Twin sister. Um, so she senses him, and she has the ship turn around. They pick Luke up. Luke gets a new robotic hand once they rejoin the rebel fleet, which was lucky and nice. Um, and Lando and Chewie head off in the Falcon to try to find and save Han, or Han if you're Lando, because he calls him Han. And that's The Empire Strikes Back. Nice. Yeah. Um, this one has like all the quotable quotes <clears throat> except for the sister one. Which the is sister not, one, yeah. Which is not uh, the biggest one. But. Yeah, and pretty much, pretty much all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's got, it's got uh, the I, no, I am no, your father. Not Luke. Not Luke, I am your father. No, I am your father. It also has um, the try not, do, mm-hmm. or do not. There is no try. Mm-hmm. Um, it mm-hmm. also has uh, what I would considered to be one of the only instances in which a f- uh, a film is referenced by itself. Cool. Oh yeah. What is uh the main I would argue that in Return of the Jedi uh when the rebel fleet leader is announcing to everyone that it's a trap. No, it, that that is a reference well, to yeah. To uh, the Empire Strikes Back. Each of the Leia. movies have the same, at least one phrase is in all the movies. It's not that one though. It's a trap is in two, but I have a bad feeling about this is in uh, all three movies. 
Oh, uh, spoken know. by a different character. I don't know that I like that so much. What? It's fun. Well, I don't know. I don't know. It depends on if is it like an Easter egg or is it just like I think it is a writing. Well, no, it's like a fun like against. oh yeah, okay, no. okay 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 okay. It's and, good drinking game and, fodder. And and in these two and at least in this one and a new hope. I don't remember if it's in a return to the return to the Je- return of the return Jedi. to the Jedi. <laughs> um, somebody says yeah. something about uh, it's our only hope. Because uh, Help C-3PO, me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only Well, yeah, but C-3PO yeah. says, it's our only hope when he's mm. like, we have to go to the ship. So I think they're just having fun, planting little things. I they probably do, yeah. Anyways, so, carry on. Uh, now, the original budget for this was $18 million, but they, got, they had to add about $4 million to recoup it uh, when The Shining set burnt down in the same studio and caused a bunch of damage to their set oh, and no. they had to rebuild. Um, they Jack Nicholson again uh, causing damn trouble. Stanley Kubrick just you bastard. Mm. Leave Shelley Duvall alone. Mm. Um, Poor Shelley. Yeah, my God. Okay. Um, two, it made uh, $209 million domestic. Um, it won the Academy Award for Best Sound. Um, which makes sense that it was, you know, still nominated for like original score and stuff, but it, a lot of the music, yeah, it was it's like it, it's, variations. You on already won the theme. You yeah, already, yeah. yeah. Like, um, it's so greedy, John. Yeah, Lucas financed the film entirely with his own money, mm-hmm. which was like absolutely unheard of. Um, but was that all from his profit from, from a new hope from Star Wars <laughs> yeah. and like loans? leverage leveraging mm. star wars profits and, and merchandising rights um now apparently there was there was controversy because uh with the director's guild and the writers guild because he only wanted there to be closing credits instead of opening credits he wanted just the um mm. the entrance cards mm-hmm. uh, as as the preface and they didn't have a problem with that so much with um a new hope because he was the writer and director um, point being, mm. Lucasfilm, his production company, has his name in it, mm-hmm. so they didn't they didn't speak up. Sure, but because he was neither the writer nor the director mm-hmm. for this film, his name being featured in his production company mm. was seen as like a violation, caused this huge problem, and they find him. Uh, he had to pay two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. They attempted to pull the film, and because of that, he left the the writer's guild and the director's guild and oh withdrew from the motion picture association. Cause he was like, fuck this. Um, That's crazy. And then he wasn't like saying he directed it by putting Lucasfilm. Well, right. hmm, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of, there's stuff about that. Like, you know, this was not met with like good reviews at the time. Mm. Um, however, when it was re-released for the first special editions, uh, the special edition VHSs that came out in the late nineties, mm-hmm. um, I had those baby. Oh yeah. Ooh. I had that gold box. gold box. Um, but it was, it began seen as the greatest film in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, Playboy listed as the number three film of, uh, the number three, Number three on a list of sequels that were better than the originals, and Roger Ebert uh, caused it. I only for the articles, <laughs> uh, for the articles. Uh, Roger Ebert said it was the most thought-provoking of the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. 
Now, uh, the first draft was originally written by this uh, by a woman named Lee Brackett, who was a the first woman ever shortlisted for the Hugo Award. She was uh, dubbed the Queen of Space Opera. Um, she wrote the first draft. Lucas uh, hated it, um, and so he did the subsequent rewrites before it had too she many women could. In it when she wrote it, yes, no, uh, but it did have a, like Anakin not being Darth Vader and him traveling to meet Anakin and then who was secretly training his twin sister who was not Leia in the art of the Jedi and he knights Anakin was training the sister. Yeah. And then he knights Luke and Luke takes the oath of the Jedi and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Um, But he was like, he didn't like it, but unfortunately uh, she passed away because she was toward the end of her career Mm -hmm. um, and she passed away before she could do any rewrites. Now this, uh, somebody who was brought, he did the rewrite to the first, he did the next two drafts, but this guy, Lawrence Kasdan was brought in to do dialogue rewrites. This was his first film. And with, with the exception of, he had had a film optioned that was not made. He was optioned in 77 and it was the bodyguard. Okay. Um, the bodyguard (laughs) is like a, a major film in the nineties with Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston. And it is the highest selling, uh, uh, it has the highest selling soundtrack of all time because that is the oh. album that has Whitney Houston's and I will always love you. on wow. it. That's where that comes from. Um, oh my. So he wrote that for Steve McQueen and Diana Ross <laughs> in the seventies oh, and it didn't end up getting made until the nineties, which is hilarious. That's so crazy. this counts as his first film. And then it started uh, the team between him and George Lucas. Cause he ra- later wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark, Return of the Jedi, um, Force Awakens and Solo. And then he, we had talked about um, when we watched Ordinary People together. Together, well, finally, we watched one together. Um, you know, The Big Chill was recommended. He uh, he wrote The Big Chill. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then the director was a prolific director beforehand, but this is still seen as his biggest work. Um, Frank Oz. This was his only his second film. Um, he was the voice of Yoda, mm-hmm. and he was a big uh, puppetry and like voice actor because he was working on the Muppets. He was a voice of Miss Piggy, but he <laughs> like this launched him, and he went on to direct. And he directed Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, What About Bob, In and Out, The Score, and Death at a Funeral, among others. I was like, oh damn, this wow. is wow, this is amazing. You were nothing at this time. You're just a little, little wee little baby. Mm-hmm. Um, we get the entrance of Billy D. Williams mm-hmm. as Lando Calrissian. He had a star turn earlier in the seventies with Brian's song, um, and he is—he was uh, apparently was widely criticized that he was not in the Force Awakens, but he is scheduled to be in the Rise of Skywalker. Uh, I'm so in excited! Episode nine. Oh my God, I cannot oh, wait. Yeah. Um, I'm going to watch the trailer right now while you keep talking. <laughs> Just kidding. Now, um, the main cultural reference we've already talked about, um, try, try, no, do not, the, the try line, no, I'm your father, <laughs> it's a trap. Um, well, it's not Admiral Ackbar yet, but yes, no. it's a trap. Um, Yoda being one after this is like, now that we have Yoda, it's like anytime somebody wants to like make a joke about not being like, super smart or like a teacher or being like, you know, really wise or philosophical being like, okay, Yoda or relax. Mm -hmm. I'm not Yoda like exploded after this. And then something else that I think is really interesting is this 
film is referenced a lot. It gave us Boba Fett. It gave us the different like Imperial walkers. Mm -hmm. Those are referenced in lots of films through merchandise, like action figures and things. And I'm really curious throughout the eighties, how we're going to see that play out of like, cause because so far we've been dealing a lot with like, yeah, movie posters or people walking by movie theaters that are playing different movies or quotes and explicit references. Mm. But now that we're seeing, you know, the big, mm. the first big merchandising deals were coming out of star Wars in 77. Mm. Now that we're like starting to see that play out in like merchandising and like product placement in film and like the ability to reference not only a film, but like it's like it's cultural effect in other areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm trying not to say just merchandise over and over again, but like we've referenced basically film within the world of film. But like when you talk about merchandise, it's like you start to see the, a kid playing with uh, a certain action figure or a certain like toy you're also like, oh yeah, my kid plays with that toy. Like there's some, there's like, it's referencing the culture of the movie as opposed to the movie itself mm-hmm. in a way that I'm, I'm interested in how that's going to uh, continue to reveal itself throughout the decade and, and beyond. Um, and also um, it, it gave us our ice tray. <laughs> it did. That's a, I, yeah, that's I, a little, ha- I have an ice that's tray. A that's inside podcast. Han Solo, frozen um, in carbonite. Very funny because it's ice, also frozen, mm-hmm. but it's water. Spoiler. Whoa. Whoa. Um, that yeah. Was Are you ready? Cute. I'm ready. Are you ready? Are, Are you ready? ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Ready. Steady. Set. Go. Eins. Just. Both. Both? Oh, you're going to yeah. say another Einstein? I thought about it. I really did I, think about Einstein. Wow, um, who's dragging it on now? I, okay. Uh, both, though. We say both. Yes. Yes. I say both. You said a questioning Yeah, I, both. I have to say, um, yeah. I think that a lot, so a lot of the problems with like A New Hope are still true of mm-hmm. of Empire Strikes Back. And I think that we agree that like their main problems with representation are just the lack of representation. Yeah. Um, but the messaging is, is effectively kind of fine. And it, with regards to princess Leia and leadership roles, like yeah. it's like great. Like she's a, she's <clears throat> a great character. Just the only one. Um, but ordinary people, I feel like I, I feel like I give it like a, like a, like a 55%. Mm, just like barely over. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it all, well, so it's, uh, yeah, let's start with ordinary people then. Right. Yeah. Let's do um, it. Cause it's, it's the harder one, I think, to mm-hmm. talk about. Like, I think, I mean, I think that it's it has to stay because a couple of things, like you mentioning how, like, the American Psych- Psychiatrics Association, just, like, that it's the first uh, movie that portrays psychiatrists and psychiatry in a positive light, mm-hmm. which I think is so, it's so interesting to like that is such a particular part of american culture that's changed so much like the relationship or the assumptions around seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist or something like how today it's so like Like so many people and how they speak to you and like what their motivations are the fact that like today like if so many people like see see at least a therapist or something you know and like there's no i don't think there's anyone today who would question like 
oh, you see a psychiatrist? Like that's really scandalous, you know? But Mm -hmm. so it's like the fact that it really used to be, at least especially for some circles, you know, this like really, like a thing you kept secret because it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's so, uh, it's so interesting because like it's easy to forget that because it's not how things are today. And so just that like if this movie helped move that forward then like that's really important and the way that it does like deal with mental illness and with like depression and suicide and all these things in a way that is really um just like blunt and really and humanizing and empathetic Mm -hmm. um and like showing uh you know and then that it's like the the male vulnerability of it too you know and of the father and his relationship to his son his desire to connect like all those things are really important to keep you know um the mom that like, there's so many things though about like the, I really struggle yeah. with the mom. Oh, oh I, I, well, I won't change the subject. No, no. um, mm-hmm. we'll talk about it later. Um, yeah, I struggled with the mom and I looked it up and I think the biggest weakness is that neither. So, you know, in the film, we see a lot of transformation of both the son, which then kind of bleeds into transformation with the father mm-hmm. and the mother is, I think we both agree fairly static and unsympathetic. Yeah. yeah. Right. The pro- the thing to me is that even is that the book, the book, is written from two perspectives. It's third person limited, but each chapter like goes back and forth between the son and the dad. Mm-hmm. And I think that the missing link is it that it should have gone back and forth between the son, the dad, and the mom. Yeah, for sure. And then we would have sort of we would have gotten a deeper look into her psychology that would then have influenced the film mm-hmm. and we wouldn't have her seen as just this cold yeah. devil. Right. She really is just like totally unsympathetic and she could be like, she doesn't have to change in the, like to be a more interesting, a better representation of her. Like she doesn't have to like change and suddenly become warm or whatever it is, you know, but like, yeah, we just don't get into her, her psychology at all. And, Mm. um, and even like why she's so the fact that she is so, uh, worried about her appearances and about what people will think like is a really interesting desperate. Like, it seems like there's something behind that that is causing that. Um, it, she actually, she makes me think a lot of my grandmother who just like was also like a warm person. Um, but often not always, you know, but like was so she, she was totally like that kind of woman you know and, and mother uh, and person who just like thought so much about what people think and like everything had to be perfect and like that was honestly kind of more important than what was happening to you you know mm-hmm. and so I'm like very interested in her as a, this character as a person and like why that's happening you know right um, like what is the cause of that you know and like how does she and and the fact that she's grieving her son you know like that there is all this emotional baggage that she has that we just don't get to explore so yeah you know. and, and when Oh, during the watching of the film, I I couldn't help but being like, is this coming out of unresolved, like mommy issues on part of the writer that's Mm -hmm. like getting out some sort of, you know, deep seated vengeance or something like that. But it's coming from the source material as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and I just, yeah, I just don't like that. it, It demonizes, the mom and makes her cold and unemotional and kind of paints that picture of moms in general, because her own mom Mm. is like, 
she she reinforces that exact same worldview and also is anti-Semitic toward the doctor and then says, you know, well, Conrad will get better if you're firm with him. Mm. Um, Which like is very interesting. Like that's totally how I believe that cycle works, you know, because of course that's the way her mom parented. And mm -hmm. so, you know, she is taking on those same things. um, But like we, it doesn't analyze that or ask questions about that, you know? Right. And we also don't get any of the other, we don't get any other characters that do have more thoughtful, sympathetic characters or arcs. We, we only get one of them that is a woman. Um, and, and I have questions about you mean her Janine? as well. Janine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so like before, just sorry, the last thing I was thinking about, about the mom, yeah. if that's okay. Um, no, please. it's just that like, I do, it's, it's, it seems like it's about like they, something really important that it does do though, is like how much it focuses on a father. Like the fact that like a father can and should be, emotionally interested like talking about emotions mm-hmm. and like cares about his son you know and like in a way especially just thinking about the 70s like and what we things like all in the family or you know like reference points of like fathers being you know like just these sort of un more like unfeeling or less emotionally available people because that's kind of like the sort of uh, expectation yeah. of like, especially if you were like growing up in the fifties or something like that's just what a father is. Um, but it's just too bad that like that came at the expense of like contra- contrasting him so much with the mother. Right. Um, because it is such an important thing that the film does do, you know, I but. started to wonder, is it, I, we, we saw this with Kramer versus Kramer too, where I'm like, is there such a thing as like this implicit other where like the film at the time can feel like equally weighted even like a one-sided film can feel equally weighted because it's given it's giving like preference to an issue or like okay let's just put it this way that because the film is giving this like this very touching connection between father and son with this strict disciplinarian cold mom because traditionally speaking that role is reversed would the film in 1980 have felt somewhat um, less one-sided because everyone watching it is bringing to it that the roles are traditionally reversed? Mm. I I, I Mm. don't feel like I'm able to word this appropriately, but it's something about like, but do you, are you hearing from me a way in which you might be able to word it better? <laughs> I would, I would appreciate it if you Just would be able to word it Just audiences at the time were coming <clears throat> to the movie right. expecting the opposite gender, like role yeah. in families, which is true. You know, like I think just because, uh, so now we're seeing it from a point which is where like we don't as much have that like the father is cold and not emotionally available and the mother is the warm one who is at the house. Right. Like, right. So we're, we're able to see it more analytically like that. Right. Like does the, does the, the separation between those expectations give the feeling that the movie is more central, but then when you lose those expectations, it starts to feel Mm -hmm. one sided. I, we can only wonder. We can only wonder. Um, What were you going to say about Janine though? So I was curious about, Janine and her sort of relationship to uh, 
like, I don't know, her uh, and like dating. And I, it feels a little bit weird for me to say the, the female identity, but I, I couldn't tell if she was, if the character was really sort of questioning if it was playing into the idea that women are um, better at speaking to the truth of what's going on in relationships and like that adolescent women have a much better grasp on um, like dating and romance than, than adolescent men, which I feel like is something that a lot of men put out into the world as a way of like justifying their frustration and fear of women or if she's actually like by when she talks about how she laughs when she feels awkward or when she asks dumb questions, which the yes, they're like, they're not, it is putting herself down in a way that I'm like, Ooh, why, you know, don't, is the movie putting her down or is, or is she acknowledging that like, she's only doing that to kind of play to his ego again. Don't feel like what I'm being very clear. What were the questions that she said again? That she said well, there was questions? one time when he asked her out on the date mm-hmm. and she's like, a real date? Oh, yeah. And he was like, yeah. And she's like, that was stupid. Mm. And I'm like. Yeah, no, I don't. I thought she was an, a pretty awesome character. Um, she's also, she's played so well. Like she has so much life by, from mm. this actor, which is really awesome. But um, I, it's felt like those things felt more just about the like, uh, the the emotions around like, Oh, we're flirting and I'm saying my real opinion, but I maybe should back back up a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and like she, I think because, well, I mean the question about like boy, adolescent, like who's better at relationships, quote unquote, then like, I don't, I don't really know, but like, um, the, she just was like able to, I think it was more just that she was, she's kind of, says thing she's sort of blunt you mm-hmm. know um often and that like her she like therefore sometimes puts her foot in her mouth you know um and so like even but that actually is like an asset right like it's not that she really knows how to do romance better or anything it's just that more like she's like you know she asks him about what happened to him she asks him about right. like his accident and stuff and like nobody else has really asked him about mm-hmm. that and i was like oh god she's asking him about this that's not the right time but he actually was like appreciative that she was sort of like asking a real question or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, but then she has that moment of like, la- these boys come in and like do, they like, they like lift they her like, up and like, they like make a scene at this McDonald's right, they and like she like push her around yeah. and they, they like get up in his face and eat his food in right, front of him. It's right. very like machismo, like yeah. jock culture. Right. And she like laughs at it at the time. And so then Conrad like, gets an impression that she thought that was like cool or Mm. funny. Right. And then later she says like, I was just laughing because I was embarrassed and I like didn't know what to do. Right. And I also thought that was like a very human believable. Yeah. And I think that's why I was, you know, it's one of those things where like in the moment I was struggling with like, I, and this is maybe this is something I should be like, you know, I should like, keep myself free of but i was almost on guard in terms of like what the what the movie was doing with that moment Mm -hmm. and then minutes later Mm -hmm. she's like when she because she sees 
how it affects him. And like they have this moment where he's just staring forward because after this happens, he becomes really internal and he had been really positive prior Mm -hmm. to that. And, and she, she's like, you know, good night. And she's looking, they're sitting in his car as she's dropping her off. And he's like, good night. And it's just like this pause where she's staring at him and he's just staring at the steering wheel. And you're like, you see that, that like she knows yeah, that like something she did as like, just to handle the, the like awkwardness and embarrassment and probably fear of the moment yeah, has also caused yeah, somebody this, like, she retreat. likes to not. Right. Well, and I think I think that's also, though, because so much of there's so many scenes and often like very brief scenes throughout the Mm -hmm. whole movie of like moments, those little little moments of social interaction where like you feel the the like craziness of the sort of ways that we I don't know that we like interact socially to be polite or to be like the way that we're supposed to, you know, like there's so many little moments of like, like there's this great, I thought party scene where like it just cuts, it cuts so quickly between like small talk of all kinds and like moments. Major reference I feel like to the LA party in Annie Hall. I don't, I kind of feel like. Oh yeah, 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 that's true. Um, But so, and so I feel like that at the. um, That was just like aggressively vapid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, God, it was so, it was, but it was such a, yeah, like pointing to like all the things that we do that we are expected to do socially to be seen as like normal or like, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, continuing kind of like how we're supposed to behave together. And so I thought that scene at the McDonald's when she like laughed at the boys after they did the stuff was like a great example also of like the way that it's just that it also happens when you're younger and the, the awkwardness of interactions when you are in public and like this need to just sort of laugh to like to be pleasant or to go along with something, even if you don't want to, or you don't understand it. And so then like having the moment after where she like explained what was happening, you know, just sort of like how much, so much of the movie is about like how you're supposed to behave and like how the distance between that and like what's really happening for you. Mm. So I just thought that was a nice way to kind of see that, through like her experiencing it as well, you know? Um, yeah. Um, there were a few firsts that I felt like I pointed out one to you when we were watching it. There were a few things that I was like, I really, I liked about the film because it was recognizing things that like I have experienced a lot, but like, I feel like the, there's a scene where they go into a restaurant and they sit down and they just, it's it's Conrad and and Karen because he wants to to meet with her and you know she's really mm-hmm. positive mm-hmm. and you know um, but he but he um, they order two cokes <laughs> and then when they walk away when the waiter walks away they talk about like you know how they how it seems like they've offended him and I'm like oh man I've been there right, right. I, I I've had that feeling where the yeah. waiter's like oh. Yeah. Just going to order the cheap stuff. Well, Cause in a movie, yeah. usually it's like, yeah, I'll have this drink. I'll drink a sip of it. And then right. I leave. And it's like, that is not how things really happen. You know? No. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I, uh, and like yeah. waiters, 
hate that because they're right. like, oh, cool, six dollars. I'll yeah. get twenty percent of that. And another instance of like social expectation and behavior. Mm. You know that like you're coming to a restaurant, so you're expected to do this, or even like the expectation that the waiter is supposed to just smile at you no matter what you did. Right. You know, like all the subtle ways that I think it plays with like those societal mm-hmm. um, interactions. Yeah. I also really like that she's like there doesn't seem to be even a hint of like uh sexuality in their friendship in a way that I don't think is really seen yeah. much or that we have seen in in the past you know f- f- 12 years mm-hmm. um yeah which true. I really really liked agreed yeah yeah god it's so it's so well done it's so sad that's I also just there was something when you were saying about just like firsts um there's something too about like being the first, the directorial debut and like all these things where it's like you have, it's so clear that, um, there's like a vision behind it that is Mm -hmm. like, I just, I have this idea and it's like burning in my head and like artistically, Mm -hmm. like it's my first time expressing this way. And so I just feel like there are so many things that happen in this movie that are just kind of like surprising and new, you know, and because it's your first movie, like how you have the, like a freedom to do that in a way that's, you maybe don't when it's like your seventh movie. Um, but yeah, cause that scene, he meets up with the friend from the hospital and she's, and he's like in a rough place and she is so bright and chipper and she's talking about all the things she's doing and she's in the musical and she's doing this and like, maybe we're going to have the best year ever. Right. And it feels like the point of the scene is like, oh, he is so not in, he hasn't moved on and she has, or she's mm-hmm. recovered in some way, you know? And then the only other thing we find out is when he tries to call her later and she's committed suicide. Right. And so it's just like really shocking you know so uh, when i um when i heard it the first time the phone call where her father's like where he calls and the father's like she killed herself mm. you're like mm. i was like that's harsh i don't know that that is real but then watching it the second time seeing her explain like why she's not in counseling anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's like, then I realized the only person that could really help me is myself. At least that's what my dad says. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, then I started to on the second watch, especially of that scene to see all of the like cries for help. Mm -hmm. And then also I really started to, to see how great that scene is at like, and how easy it is to interpret someone else's behavior as a comment about you and interpreting their behavior and what they say, like through the lens of your narrative Mm -hmm. that causes you to entirely miss what could be going on with them. I mean, I think the whole point of, I think part of the point of the scene in that is for Conrad to be seeing her behavior and what her life is now is a reflect as a reflection on him Mm. and not her saying, let's make this the best Christmas. Let's make this the best year ever as her like trying to desperately Mm. hold on to happiness because she kills herself over new year's. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, God. So, yeah. Also, this is kind of the first real reference to like parents being humans that are just like doing their best. And like the son has a moment of like acknowledging to his dad that like he admires him for how he's 
faked it and like mm. made it seem like he had it all figured out so that they as kids could like trust him and lean on him. And he was just like, well, you should never really look up to anybody cause they're just going to let you down. Mm. And this idea of like the mm. fallibility of parents, mm-hmm. we haven't really seen that before. Yeah. Um, also to play off what you said with, uh, Robert De Niro, um, I'll Wrong leave, I'll leave. Bye. Um, no, to, uh, Robert Redford and having like his burning desire to communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like the, f- the film was packed with like symbolism mm-hmm. in, um, some of it maybe a little bit heavy handed. Um, but there were moments where like, you know, there's a, a scene where it's especially palpable, the tension between Mary Tyler Moore and uh, Conrad. Mm -hmm. And then he like tries to appease her by helping her set up for dinner. And then she's like, no, well, you know, what I I think the best thing that you could do is go up to your room and clean out your closet. Cause it really is a mess in there. Mm -hmm. And it's like, (laughs) Oh, that I was like that. Yeah. You know? Um, And then also after, um, the dad tries to get take a picture of the two of them. Get those skeletons <laughs> yeah. out of your closet. There's a lot of skeletons right. in there. And then um, he, the dad is trying to take a picture. Donald Sutherland is trying to take a picture of them. And it's really awkward. And, and Mary Tyler Moore is like being really um, mm. like coded and saying, I don't want to take the picture with right, him. I'll right. take the picture of just the Let men. Me take Let me take a picture of yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when the son finally freaks out, she goes into the kitchen and the mom comes in afterward and she's broken this plate and she's mm-hmm. like, do you think it can be saved? Right. And it's like, you know, yeah. a little bit, a little heavy handed, little, little, little yeah. nose yeah. tapping. There's um, also, I mean, just the fact that, so Janine and Conrad meet because they're both in choir together. Mm-hmm. And so we see a few scenes of the choir and I think there's just something too like symbolic about the contrast of it intentionally of like, cause they're in this choir and they're, I think the only word that I ever heard them sing was hallelujah, Uh, you know? And so like this sort of exaltation and this praising and like this joy and this communal moment, you know, and then of course like being very alone and being depressed and Mm -hmm. not feeling any hallelujah, you know? Yeah. Um, now I do take issue with, um, how do you think we're supposed to interpret the title? Yeah. I mean, I think we're supposed to just, uh, like what, that like all of these are just ordinary people, right? Uh, like this happened, right. this could happen to anyone. And also this maybe is happening to somebody near you and like you right. should pay more attention. Um, Do you think that it is painting them as like they're, Oh God, I moved the mic. Um, Steven? do you, th- Oh God. Um, no, do you think that oh, it I is, did it too. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, but <laughs> do you think it is saying, Oh, at first you think these are ordinary people, but they're actually going through a serious trauma or <laughs> despite the outrageous opulence of this family, they're going through traumatic issues just like ordinary people. Um, because I almost, I'm I'm afraid that that we're going to start seeing um, with the Reagan era this push to see like advanced upper middle class wealth as normal as, normal yeah. as like America as the American baseline mm-hmm. because their house Jeez. is 
gigantic. <laughs> their, their life, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just insane. Oh, yeah. And their house is gigantic, and Janine's house is not. You know, like we do see her house, and she's like, does not. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I like that's been happening. I think throughout like that's right. not something new of just sort of the the what we what what is presented to us as like a normal american family you know mm. is an upper luke, class leia. white pe- white family right. luke leia yeah, yeah. <laughs> their house in the hamptons uh but but yeah i mean like i my that is also a thing i'm like uh, it's an important there's a lot of important issues in this but like you this is such extreme such an extremely wealthy family that it like and like the i just it's hard to care at on sometimes because they're yeah. just like so they have everything. It's like, oh, they were you know? boating. Right, I know. <laughs> this is like a boating a uh-huh. sailing accent. Yeah. Um but I think that it's meant to just be yeah, that like this is an ordinary thing. Like because again of the stigma against psychiatry at the time and all these sure. things, like this is an ordinary thing. You know, like that people yeah. should people this happens to people and we need to treat it as normal because mm-hmm. if we recognize it as normal then we can solve it you know or in some way we can at least not be scared by it you know sure yeah but yeah are, are we should we, are we jump ready? on over are we ready to a long time ago in a galaxy, galaxy three nearby. years later oh, yeah. than the one three <laughs> years before mm. three years three years later in a galaxy equidistant from the previous galaxy yeah because right. it's the same no, galaxy no, great no, no. <laughs> Great. Let's go there. Um, here we are. <laughs> oh, we're going there. <laughs> so we want to keep this one, too. Yeah. No, we do. It's funny, too. Yeah, it's so hard to, like, like as far as sequels, this is the second set of se- Like, we've only had The Godfather and Godfather right, Part 2. yeah. And, like, those felt, like, kind of, like, different movies. And these feel very, this feels very similar to A New Hope. Right. It's know? like a continue. It's almost like the story is three films long. Is just the story is six hours long and mm-hmm. they cut yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. If it's, they said that, you right. would believe it. The story is really nine hours long because the third one, like we just stop and then we'll pick up. Well, some time has passed. Anyways, right. we're not there yet. Some um, might say it's like uh, more like eighteen hours long. Oh, or or it will be. Or it will be. <laughs> but yeah, but I think like I have to say I do think the writing of this one was superior to the mm. first one. I mean, I know you said that's what some people I actually say. have, um, I, I take issue with that. Do you? I think what well, I think it's a problem with like revisionism with like once the universe mm. starts to expand the, you're like, oh, okay, that doesn't make sense. And I have one in particular okay. that I found so funny. What was it? Um, so when, um, there's when, when the emperor tells Darth Vader that he, thinks that Luke is the son of Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. He was like, Vader was like, how is this possible? And then mm-hmm. the insidious is like, search your feelings. And I was like, yeah, he's like, Hey, remember the you one woman kid. you had a sexual relationship with who was pregnant. <laughs> and then you got in a fight on a, on a fire planet with Obi-Wan and then you lost and he took her to deliver the child. At, I mean, that's was traumatic enough 20 to years block before. out, you know, <laughs> like search your feelings. Cause he's now like this evil dark side of the force robot dude. Fair. Like he's got to, re- he's like return to your humanity for a second and you'll see that it was possible. But mm-hmm. I hear you. I, I hear like, you. You've, you've You've made love to one woman in your entire life. <laughs> but <laughs> as far as the writing, like I before, like in A New Hope, there's so much delightful stuff. I talked about this before, too, about like the, the droids and stuff. Mm-hmm. But here it's like so even it's so funny. Yeah. No, this movie is it's funny. Good. It was so 
And even in the midst of like the darkest moment, kind of of like the, when Vader, when uh, you know, when Han's about to be thrown in the kryptonite at the kryptonite, what? <laughs> Where are we? <laughs> There's one weakness. And <laughs> the carbonite. Yeah. Um, like C three PO, like it could just be dark, but C three PO has just like accidentally been torn up by these little like gremlin things, and he's like, well, he wasn't torn up. He was. He was, he was shot, shot by and a blown storm up by stormtroopers. Okay, sure. But then these gremlins are like throwing his head around. But right. like in this dark scene it's like c-3po is just like in a mess a jumble on mm-hmm. chewie's back and he's like what's happening turn around and he's just like it's just goofy and there's so much good yoda stuff it's right. he's so playful oh i had moments ah. where i was like also for him now that we've seen like how everyone he knew um and respected uh died and then for the past 20 years he's been alone on this planet like who yoda yoda i'm like yeah but he's be... a jedi he's been alive for uh, 800 yes. years yeah, that's he said true. that's you true. know friends that yeah. you made well, 12 years ago is a 900 like... years old okay for 800, 900 years, years old look as you he's... reach look as good you will not oh well he said for 800 years i've been training the jedi is that what he said uh, so maybe okay. he was 100, 100 when he started, when he started. Tra- yeah which see it's never too late guys you can follow you're never your too late <laughs> whenever you uh, want but also another thing with like looking back now that like because you don't know it at the time when they're like you know you're not ready to go up against vader yeah well they're like why weren't they like Luke, you don't have all the information <laughs> on who Vader is. I know. We're well, worried yeah. about you being in the same room. <laughs> like, yeah, it's true. That is questionable. That is questionable. Yeah. And and so the thing you said about Leia, like, so... Oh, oh I just have d- one more moment. Go, go, go Which for is it. that yep. uh, when, before, like, like when... They're like, is he alive? Is Han Solo alive? Or he's frozen in carbonite? And, and, and Billy D. Williams is like, no, he's alive. Like... Five scenes prior, he was like, this freezer is only made for carbonite. We have no idea that it won't kill him. So I'm like, okay, you have never frozen a human before. Mm-hmm. And yet somehow this freezer has the infrastructure right, in it to, like, to test sense. vital signs. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe they're used to freezing cattle and stuff. And this also is carbonite. <laughs> so I don't know if carbonite has a heartbeat. Uh, like, well, you know. oh, no, it's a what? No, it, well, I really it don't freezes know. you. So I think, okay, so this Bespin is the planet where they are. It is a gas. Don't look at me like that. No, I'm just like dope. Um, well, I don't think this is exactly the same, but I know it's like a gas mining. They like mine right, gas. They are, yeah. and so I th- in my head, carbonite is like an agent that can, like cryogenic freezing, you know, mm-hmm. or something that it's like carbonite freezing, right? Like that it's like the agent that you get It freezes in. things in, car- yeah. Yeah. So okay. y- that's my guess, but uh, and not and only maybe, yes, not the only cattle, ca- the they're cattle, farming cattle right, from the for sky. the mi- for the gas mines. Right. Not only is he alive, I mean, he's in perfect they are health though. Greenhouse uh, gas emitters. So cattle, that's a big problem. Okay, yeah, on Earth to be vegetarian in a galaxy right now. Um. Yes. Uh. So the so the thing about Leia that I so I do love you know she is they literally have like her only wearing pants again in the, as I said before in this um, one and she's in charge and mm-hmm. like that's awesome and she's not no one like questions her authority and she's yeah. very it's very easy for her to be like hey guys we're doing this, this is the plan you got it go you know and she's um, also like about to go down with Hoth I mean I didn't actually think that I realized it this yeah, time she's gonna go down with the ship that like they were exporting rebels that they were like the whole that the whole operation of like fighting against those walkers wasn't to like win but to ooh, <laughs> um the it wasn't to win but to give enough time for them to get mm. the bulk of the rebels out, out. yeah and so 
she and Han was supposed to have left, I think. Yeah. So I think she was effectively she was going go to die with the, with the station. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. yeah. But the thing that I don't, I'm not sure about is the, the, the romance the between her and Han. Yeah. Because uh, honestly, I mean like, well, a throughout, like even in the beginning when she, so there's like she and Han and Luke, there's like a little like triangle thing. Mm-hmm. And she like kisses Luke to, surprise sort of, kiss. to spite surprise kiss. Surprise again. kiss to spite. That is her second surprise kiss. Okay. She keeps surprise kissing people. Yeah. But like she, you know, and so like her only, pow- even though she's in charge of everything else, it's like her only power with these people who she actually has a relationship with is her sexuality. Like she, that is the only and so mm-hmm. she like uses it to like play into that, which is like dis to not great, you know, like that she ha- a has to and b like they're like yeah let's just let her kiss him and that'll make mm-hmm. him jealous. But also like their whole flirtatious relationship, her and Han is it's just it's like it's he's really a, he's, toxic. It's but he's it's so hard because he is does it so well. He's well, that's the very, thing. I was like in spite of well, yourself though, you find it I'm, hot. Oh, right? I find it like so it's hot. hot. It's <laughs> so hot, but. Uh, he's not listening to her all the time, you know, and often they're when they're not flirting, it's just, she will like interject with a practical, true statement that he then sort of pushes away with a diminutive, you know, patronizing thing. Yeah. And he's like, I got it. Princess sweetheart, you know, and like that. And she doesn't really, sometimes she fights back a little bit, but like in the end, like it's always him having the final word, just being like, ah, sweetie, like Mm -hmm. essentially like tousling her hair. What? <laughs> I just was wondering what you're doing with your hand I'm there. I'm tousling <laughs> your hair. Got I'm at hair level. Um, yeah. And then, but like also though, flirting is like, she also does There's like him. It's yeah. tricky. I and like, know. okay. So I, you know, it's been a little bit of time since I've been on the old apps, the mm, apparoos. Yeah. And uh, anyone is on the uh, apparoos. Don't. Uh, they... Everyone who he likes a little Aperol spritz. Dating apps. It's that, like talking they, um, about dating apps yeah, to translate. That I was like, I was just, you know, the first message. It's like lots of people acknowledge that like playful antagonism mm. is like kind of necessary for those first few messages if you like want it to go for somewhere. Pl- emphasis on the playful. Emphasis on the antagonism. It, emphasis <laughs> on the antagonism. <laughs> Neg the shit out of them. Um, no, yeah, yeah. No, I, I promote negging. No, I don't. Um, but like, there is a kind of like joking, sarcastic, like mm-hmm. playful antagonism mm-hmm. that takes place in the world of, mm-hmm. the wide world of flirting. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, but then there is also though the thing that we didn't mention, which is a cultural reference too, of the I love you, I know, I know. which is also from this movie. Oh, somebody dropped the somebody, ball, Gina. Somebody, whoever does the Who cultural references. does just, I don't know. We'll have to check. But yeah, because um, it was supposed to be I love you, I love you too. And then it just it like didn't work. It was supposed to be I love you too. Oh, he was supposed to say that. Like and a, then they like, they shot it a number of times and it just kept being like weird. Hmm. So then he came up with like, he, he was like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, so come on, dude. Like you love, tell her you love her. But at the same time though, he spends almost all of their scenes together being like, come on, princess, you like me. That you know doesn't you mean like me, I love and you. And no, I know, but she always rebuffs him. With you. She always rebuffs him. And so in this one time, he's like, she's forward know. and he's like, She's emotionally forward when he has been sexually forward. I'm just saying it's different. Right, but like like, in men, emotion and sex are the same thing. thing. Yeah, what do you expect? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. So there's that. I also, this is a, t- a tiny thing just to move away from this subject for a second, which is that the extra work in this movie is very weird and poor. <laughs> I think. Oh, really? There are so many people who have, who are like, you can tell they've concentrated so hard on saying their line because it's got like some jargon in it. And, and like, even there's like a scene, like there's one guy who's just like, we got to get the things out of the thick place. Cause, and then we're going to go. Okay. You got it friend. Okay. Bye. And then they're also like, there's a moment where there's like, they're cheering and they're just like, hooray. And they yeah. like lift their fists, like awkwardly hooray. And I'm like, who picked these extras? They're doing a terrible right. job. They were on the lot. They were in the shining. They were in the hotel <laughs> right. scenes, of the shining. They were like, right. get them over here. Like, we can't afford it. On fire. Can Stanley. We, yeah. um, oh yeah. You're on fire. Oh, so you're still on the clock. Get over here. Right, right. Um, yeah. But that's that's not a huge problem. Mm. I just I'll, think it's funny. Something that I I I like because it kind of gives him a lot of fun, and he does have, I think, a really interesting arc. Um, it is a little bit. It is tinged with disappointment that the first and only uh, human of color is immediately described as a gambler and a scoundrel. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of a, a dub, uh, there's like a little bit of a double edge because like who's the favorite personality in Star Wars at this point? It's Han. Mm-hmm. So like, right. who, who do is- you want? You want dynamic personalities like Han. So yeah. you go to Han's world, and Han is right. a criminal because that's the world that he right. That's who right. he walks with. Yeah. Um, and he, but like he's super creepy toward Leia at the start. I know. Like, well, that's honestly, I was like, creepy. everybody is creepy towards Leia but I'm like no wonder she's the only woman out here right in the world, they're like you know? I haven't but seen like, a female like, woman <laughs> right, in, in decades yeah. Yeah. Um, no he's very creepy towards her it's true oh. um, but but it is that he is so much like Han, like mm-hmm. the reason they like both get along really well and don't get along is because he right. and Han are so similar um, but I totally agree with you yeah. and he was totally under um, he was kind of forced into a position to make a deal because they already covered that he was operating this cloud city illegally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so right. Having a lot of challenges. Would have been arrested. With it. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and he's still at the end, like goes, you know, and he does the morally right thing right. and like sticks with his friend and tries to get them out of there. You know? And he had made a deal so that they would take Han, but then the others would mm-hmm. be able to go on and just be free and fine. Right. And then this deal course, keeps getting worse all the time. Yeah. And then just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you think does. they ate dinner? This is so <laughs> ridiculous. Oh my God. Yes. So the whole elaborate scheme, I, I was like, what is happening in this scene? He's like, come, we have a banquet prepared for you. And that's why he like brings how, how he brings Han and Leia and Chewie into the room where Darth Vader is sitting at the head of a table that's right. like set for it a banquet. Set. It's got stuff on. It's got like little dishes full of something. And they go into and they the go room in, and, and the door closes. The door, yep. And it's like, there's no way that Darth Vader, he is not the kind of evil genius who would be like, first I'll f- let you think I'm on your side. Have a meal. Don't yeah. mind my whole like mask thing and right, like the yeah. fact that I am pure evil. Please. Like, what was that? Pass the potatoes. <laughs> exactly. I know. <laughs> this is good. Needs yeah. more salt. Or like, it's or do you think crazy. they just like sat there <laughs> silently and he's like, right. mm, eat up. Right. I can't I eat can't through eat. this mask. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It would be humiliating for me to take my mask off and then eat. It would diminish my power. Yeah. 
be so. But like they're also probably hungry, yeah. so maybe. Yeah, we never see no one. Um, no one eats. No the one galaxy. eats. That's true. Yeah. No one until Ray. Maybe is she the first one? Well, no. Eats? Luke oh, well, eats his like. He's uh, like blue. What are they, his blue milk and stuff. Um, oh, MRA no, he's like rice. eating the like the little oh, breadstick. Yeah. It looks like a little. It's like a little box. And it's yeah. got all the. I thought they were like jerky. That's what I. Uh, that I don't was. know. It looked like a. It looked like a breadstick to me. It's Either way, Yoda's not about it. Got more protein than a breadstick. Who would take The rebels are strapped. Okay, they don't collect any tax revenue whoa so you're saying Gina, what happened no mind the elbow what what did i do i don't know i thought you looked like you did something i'm no, reading I'm, your we're mind good. We're good. you stay on Language. stay on target stay, stay on, on target. target wrong movie could quote this movie all day um i forgot where Jer- beef jerky not breadsticks that's the yeah. answer that's um, the answer yeah. done but yeah we, um, we should still keep it because it's also, the, something I thought was funny is like it's the only movie in the entire Star Wars franchise that doesn't contain a single Rebel victory. Hmm. Yeah, I was like, oh, it's interesting because it starts with them losing and then they lose. And it's true, their victory is yeah. escaping. Right, which is still like him, basically, <clears throat> yeah, running away with a tenth less of his body, mm-hmm. which I think is help. Okay, yeah, well, like because it's showing, it's also ramping up. Because in the first movie, they had so many successes, kind mm. of, you know, and so, like, that the threat is really real, and you think that they've achieved the greatest challenge ever, which was blowing up the Death Star, but mm-hmm. that actually, you know, the Empire is this massive thing that they have no chance of, like, of just defeating in another, ba- especially now that, I mean, like, yeah, now the Death Star, the Empire is like, all right, we're, we're gonna, we, now that we know you can actually hurt us, right. we're gonna show you that we can't be fucked with anymore, and, like, the AT-ATs come in, whoo. Yeah. And walk the walkers. The walkers. Winter is coming. <laughs> um, should we see if we've changed our minds? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um <laughs> uh, one. Tatooine. Huff. Bespin. Chicago. You couldn't think of a third. I could <laughs> both. both. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, think that we you should keep them both. I think that you brought me further along in terms of like whether or not I should it should be kept ordinary people. Ordinary people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that like it's really disappointing, but I also th- and I think that like I think that if it were remade, mm-hmm. I think that unconsciously people would already move toward a more sympathetic depiction of the mom. Yeah. Even for without sure. being like with specific intent to make her more specific. Yeah, it would just happen because yeah, 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 yeah agreed. Yeah. 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 Let's keep them. Thought thoughts. Um, no. No. Should I? Really? I none. Don't. <laughs> just wow. But I don't. Um. Don't. You excited for next week? Next um, year? Um. I was just gonna say I literally forgot to look and I have no idea what's I'm next week. Right here. What's well, next what? week? Steven? What's uh your favorite movie? That what? you don't. It's not your favorite movie. It's not your favorite <laughs> movie. Are but you'll love it. Jones we are at the yes. Raiders and the Lost Ark right. and. Uh, <laughs> Chariots of Fire, which I think is a running movie, but also I get confused okay. with some. Uh, I always I get the name confused with this weird book that gets featured on Ancient Aliens a lot. Um, so lost me. You never watched Ancient Aliens for real? I don't really have. No. Okay, um, good. Don't. They're fucking crackpots. Cool. Uh, it just to me, I know it is a running like Olympics movie or something. Um, oh, is that a little spoiler? A spoiler that don't well. Okay, well, it's also but it looks like exactly that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Okay. Once again, um, but it sounds like a Roman Empire movie to yeah. me. Chariots of fire. Chariots of fire. Yeah. Yeah. So,
Great. Well, let's look forward to that. Yeah, I do. I also look forward to finding you, but I can't remember you, where. I don't really where? exist on the no. meads. Yeah, I mean, should I, should I, if I were to like look you up on Instagram, like what you would your handle be? Stop dragging this out. Why? Just I mean, yeah, don't drag it out. Just tell me, Gina. Tell me where you're to find You're dragging it out. Okay, Gina fine. underscore with a G. Great. Steven. Moscas, no underscore. Oh. Caps are, I mean, they're not case sensitive uh, <laughs> handles, but they're want. just me and it's Anyways, with a baby. Yes. We'll see you next week. See ya. Rock Rising. This is a Rock Rocks. Rising Productions Podcast. <laughs> this podcast is produced by Rock Rising. Come follow us on Instagram, and if you want to hear more podcasts, visit rockrising.org. Thanks.